We have another milestone today. We get to go to a new chapter in Luke. We are in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods, oh my. Talked about revival a second ago. Where does revival start? Revival starts with you. Now, I see some younger faces. Oh, kids can be dismissed at Children's Church. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for waiting until I said that instead of just running off. See, speaking of young faces, some in the crowd, so not everybody's going to remember this, but a lot of us will. It's kind of an iconic image of 9-11-2001. There's an image, as I recall seeing this, and um, there's one image that I had to search for for a long time, but I remember seeing it in the, in the newspaper, and it kind of struck a chord with me because it was how I felt. Um, and it was this image here, this, this feeling of shock of dismay over what was going on. You know, the, the United States up until that point had been thought pretty much invulnerable. Uh, nobody could touch us. We were the head of the world. Um, but everything changed on that day. And I find it interesting that we were studying this morning uh, Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, during his time, got to see some, some things going on that concerned him. And he, he was... Uh, Surprised, and he was crying out to God and, and concerned that God wouldn't answer. Um, and God did answer Habakkuk at that point and said, you know, you're concerned now, but you really have no idea. Things are going to get a lot worse. Now, after 9-11, there were lots of people that could relate to this. There were lots of people saying that this was God's judgment coming on the United States. And may, maybe that's true. In fact, I do kind of think it's true. And we can see that things have happened since then. We've seen Hurricane Katrina for example, in, the, in uh, New Orleans. Um, a lot of people looked at that and said, okay, well, here's another sign of God's judgment on the United States. And most of these people in the mainstream media were written off as being kooks and crazy and, you know, okay, whatever. But what we have seen over the past several decades is the United States moving farther and farther away from God. And as a result, I believe we've seen God's protections falling away from the United States. Do you ever ask the question, though, when you look at these natural disasters, kind of like what we had in, in Habakkuk, we look at these natural disasters and you ask, well, what did those people do to deserve this? Okay, so if the nation is being judged, 9-11, there were 2,977 people, not counting the hijackers, that were killed. 9-11. Were those 2,977 people really responsible for all the ills of America? If God is giving judgment on America, was it really their fault? In Hurricane Katrina, there were 1,833 people that were killed in Hurricane Katrina. Some more devastation from Katrina. Do you suppose this lady here, was she responsible for it? She had to live through it. We don't, I don't know who she is. Maybe, she, maybe she's a horrible person. Maybe she's a saint. But what about the person that lived in the house right next to her, the one over there? Or what about this kid? God's judgment is not always nice. And I can feel pretty comfortable saying this kid was probably not responsible for whatever instigated 9-11, yet he had to go through it. What about other disasters? Here's a picture of the aftermath of the earthquake in Japan in 2011. See a nice ship up there in the midst of the houses. In the Japan earthquake, 15,891 people died. Over 6,000 were injured. 2,500 people are still missing. Now, what did Japan do? What did these people do to deserve that? Do you ever find yourself looking at some of these things? Maybe it's a tsunami in India or you know, those, and you wonder why. Where is God? What, what could these people have done to deserve it? In Japan, what did that lady do? This is not a new question. 
things have been happening for a while, and God has been giving judgment for a while. We go through the minor prophets here on a regular basis, and uh, we see that God does stand by his word, and he gives judgment. And there were some folks that were questioning Jesus when he was walking around, because something happened while Jesus was going about his ministry that folks thought was fairly concerning. And that's where we get to our, um, our verse. But actually, before we get there, I'm going to go to a different verse. Because all of this was predicted. You know, a lot of people look at these things, look at these natural disasters, and they say, well, this is a response. They see that things are growing. You know, we're getting more hurricanes. We're, we're getting stuff. And they say, well, the weather is changing. It's climate change. That's what's causing the problem. Uh, well, God actually told us that this stuff was going to happen. Jesus said in Luke 21, 25 through 26, that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and on the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He says in other places that we should expect these things to increase, like a a woman in labor, like childbirth pangs will continue to get worse. And I think this is what we're seeing here. We're seeing that God's judgment on the earth is coming. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. It may. Might have, might be a hundred years from now, might be two hundred years, but things are starting to get worse, and we are to be, we are to expect this. So now let's get to Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Some people came, and it says, Now on the same occasion, while Jesus was speaking, some were present who reported to him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. What he's saying here is that there were some Galileans, people from Galilee, who were in Jerusalem, because that was the place where you had to give sacrifices, who were giving sacrifices, and Pilate's soldiers came in and slaughtered them in the temple while they were giving sacrifices. This is, according to Jewish tradition and law, bad. Nobody's allowed inside that temple. There's an outer court for Gentiles, but Pilate and the Romans didn't show much regard for the Jewish law, and they went so far as to actually execute people while they were giving sacrifices. Um, this is recorded in a, mentioned in a couple of different places. We don't know exactly where this, where this happened, but this is a pretty egregious act. And the people are wondering what Jesus has to say about this. And maybe they even brought it to his attention because he was also from Galilee, so maybe he would have some personal response to it. But instead of responding to the act of Pilate, Jesus turns it back around on them. Verse 2, Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So he turns it back around and says, okay, yes, this thing happened, but do you suppose that those people, this was a punishment from God individually on them, that they were worse than, oh, say, you? No, but unless you repent, And he goes on to give a similar illustration. Verse 4, he says, Or do you suppose that the 18 on whom a tower in Siloam fell and killed were those worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? So here we don't have a lot of detail on what this particular episode was, but we can see that there was a disaster, something, maybe an earthquake, but a tower fell and it, it killed some men. And again, he says, Do you suppose that because of that, judgment that those people were worse off than the rest of you. And he says no, and then turns it around on them individually again. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what do we take from this? There's two things. we got two words. we got a word for the church and a word for you. The word for the church is that when God's judgment comes on the land, faithful Christians, faithful good people, will suffer and perish. Read that again. When God's judgment comes on the land, whether it's the land of Wasilla the land of Alaska, the land of the United States, or on the world in 
In total, when God's judgment comes, good, faithful Christians will be caught up in the midst of that. We see that in the study of Habakkuk, that when the Babylonians, he's, he's promising that what's going to happen, that the Babylonians are going to come in, and with them we see that good Jews get taken away from that. We see Daniel and his, and his friends get taken away with Babylon. We can expect that when God's judgment comes, that we will get caught up on that, and some of us will suffer and die. This is not an individual judgment on us. Judgment doesn't come for us on this side of eternity. What do I mean by that? In Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. All of us are going to die. Every single one of us will face death. All of us will pass through death, and then we'll face judgment. Now that death may come as a result of a natural disaster that is part of God's providential judgment on a nation. It may come as a traffic accident right out here. All of us will face death, and then comes judgment. So when we say that when God's judgment comes on the land, good and faithful Christians will suffer and perish during that. This is actually a word of encouragement. I happen to believe, like many people, all generations before me, I said this before, that the end is near and that Jesus is going to come back. I see the signs, things that we've fact, had a sermon about it a little while ago, things that have never happened in the past that are happening now that I think point to Jesus coming back very soon. Now, all generations have said that, and whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, we are all commanded to live as though he's going to show up tomorrow. But prior to him showing up, there are some things that we may be present for, some really bad things. Several people have noticed that the United States of America is not specifically mentioned in the Bible. Many people will look at, well, we're, when it talks about Babylon, it's really referring to the United States of America, maybe. But if that's true, Babylon suffers a horrible fate in the end times. Or maybe the United States just isn't around when Jesus comes back, which means something really terrible has to happen. And when that happens, all of us get to go through it. We should be prepared for that, mentally prepared for that. This is not a judgment on you. If you are alive when this happens, this is not a judgment on you. This is your opportunity to shine even brighter in the darkness that is to come. Our job, if we are here, is to shine the light of God's love to everybody who doesn't know Jesus. And when things get darkest... When you picture that little boy or the, the woman that was sitting there in Tokyo, those are the times that people are open and reach out for God, and it's our job to reach out to them during those times. So if we find ourselves in incredible difficulty, if the worst-case scenario happens and all of the conspiracy theorists are all over the Internet saying all what could potentially happen, you know, terrorists will knock out our, our power grid, which is potentially possible, sending us back to the Dark Ages, and we will all perish because none of our iPads will work, if that happens and you find yourself without an iPad or an iTouch or an iPod or a Kindle or a whatever you've gotten, you think you're about to die, that is your time. Like my son would definitely think he was about to die if that didn't work. That is your time to actually shine. Don't be dismayed. So the message to the church, the word to the church is, expect that this may happen. Prepare yourself mentally that it could happen. And now a word to you. And this is the word that Jesus gave when people asked these questions. What did he do? He didn't tell the nation at this point to return. He told the individuals to repent. Where does revival start? Revival in the church. We, we want a huge revival in the church, right? We've been praying for this. We want a big revival like it's only happened a couple of times in the United States. We want it to come back. So we pray for that. But where does that start? I met a man who was very concerned about his family. He wanted all of his kids to, to come to Christ and to follow the right way. 
Yet he himself was more concerned about their walk with Christ than he was about his walk with Christ. He's the head of the household. Now this man is not me, but as I'm talking, I'm going, you know what, that reminds me of me sometimes. That as I'm leading my family, as I'm looking at my kids, my primary job is to make sure I'm following Christ because they're going to follow me. Revival starts with you individually. You can't look around and say, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I go to church every day or every, every Sunday. I, or maybe, maybe you go to church every day. I, I feel that way sometimes. So I'm, I'm good. So therefore, I'm going to start praying for Sharon because Sharon, she's in trouble. Not really. Sharon's great. When we start thinking that we're okay, Romans has something to say about that. Paul says in Romans, it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That means in this room right now, not one. Not one person sitting here right now seeks after God. There's not one in this room that is righteous. So when Jesus tells you to repent, he's speaking to you. Personally, individually. Romans goes on in Romans 3.23. says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Backing that up. But it goes on. There's good news here. But being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So while we have the need to repent, and while none of us here is good and will ever be good enough on our own, we have been given a precious and free gift Later on, a couple chapters later in Romans 6, 23, Paul says the wages of sin is death. See, if all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, then all of us, every single one of us, deserves death. So we can't even look at those 18 that were crushed in the Tower of Siloam. We can't look at 9-11 and say those people didn't deserve it because all of us deserve death, physical death and eternal spiritual death. But... I love this as one of my favorite buts in the Bible. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we do? Jesus says to repent. What does repent mean? Everybody can give me the Sunday school answer, right? Repent doesn't mean say you're sorry. Repent means turn around. Repent means go somewhere else. It does not mean be good. It doesn't mean follow the rules. You know, you're not... You find yourself lying, so I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn around. It does kind of mean that. But more than that, it means seek Christ. Put everything else aside and purposefully seek Jesus. Seek his face. If you are seeking Christ, you're going to be good. It's going to follow. If you try to be good, you're going to fail. You're going to falter. If you seek his face and follow him, He's not going to lead you into the lying path or into the lustful path or into the stealing path. If you are following Jesus, things right. So when we when Jesus says that it's your opportunity or your responsibility or your requirement to repent, when we look at the world, when we see all of the things going on and we say, I don't understand why those people in, in Japan has to have to die, his response is repent, seek me. I don't understand why the people in India had to die. I don't understand why the people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are being beheaded and crucified over in Africa and in the Middle East. His response is, repent and seek me. Often, we come to services, we come to church, 
and, and we forget the basics. And what I really see in this story is people are looking around, and as we read in Habakkuk, we, we read, he looks around and he, he sees all of this atrocity going on. He sees all of this horrific stuff, and he cries out to God, God, I don't understand. Why aren't you doing anything? And God comes back and says, hey, my plan is bigger than you can imagine, and you know what? Your experience is going to get worse before it gets better. And the people in Jesus' day saw this as well. They're, they're living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They're saying, look, they're even slaughtering us while we're trying to be good, trying to sacrifice. And Jesus' response is, don't worry about that. Repent. I think we need to look back to the basics. And the basics are, you are a sinner. You can never make it to God on your own. You can never work hard enough. You can never go on enough mission trips. You can never lead enough people to Christ in order to earn your way to God. Remember, all have sinned. There is none righteous. But God knew that. And he provided a way. He paid that penalty that's required for all that sin. This is the basics that we need to remember. As we're going through our life and as we're complicating our lives, we need to remember that every time I fail, Jesus has paid for that. And all he asks is that I seek him. Turn from whatever it was I, I did, lay it at his feet, and seek him. God provided us a way out. When you look around the world, when things don't make sense, when you look at atrocities that happen overseas, and when you happen to find yourself in difficulties and even things that seem unimaginable here in the United States, if everything falls apart and you find yourself running for your life, searching for food, not able to speak, and you want to cry out to God and say, God, why? What have I done? Have you forsaken me? The answer is no. Repent and seek Jesus. And when you do that, even through the difficulties and the trials that you have, you will find that peace that surpasses understanding, and then you will be in a place where you can stop looking at yourself and looking at the other things that are going on, and go out and start telling those other people, maybe even the people that are persecuting you, about the salvation that can be found only in Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ today as your Savior, I want to tell you that there is a peace that you can't comprehend that is available to you right now. All of the cares, all of the concerns, all of the worries of the world that constantly wash over you, they won't go away, those things that cause them, but you will find a peace through that because you will understand that God is in control and even more than that, he will begin to make you into a brand new creation today. If you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to pray to God to reveal him to you. And if you feel a leading, a, an urge to say there's got to be something more, I'm telling you that is God. And you need to respond to that right now. Because he's standing at the door knocking. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an encouragement that God is still on the throne. God is still in control. And no matter what we see happening in the coming years, the coming decades, God has a plan for you and he has equipped you to complete that plan. And when you feel the need to go, cry out to God, why? God's response is repent and seek Jesus. We sing a song at the end of, of every service. That song is Just As I Am. It's interesting that we sing this song, considering that we just read Scripture, which very clearly says that just as we are is pretty horrifically awful. None of us are righteous. None of us are good. None of us on our own can come to God. Yet 
God accepts us. Why? Because he has provided the cover for all of that through Jesus Christ. So today we are going to sing, Just As I Am. And as we sing that song, I would like you to pray, to think of those things where you know you fail, where you know you falter, and give them to Jesus. Because while God accepts you just as you are, here's the liturgy part of the thing, he loves you too much to leave you that way. He will grow you. So please stand with me if you would. We are going to sing 307, Just As I Am. If there is anything that you would like to pray about, if there's anybody that would like to come up and, and have some questions or would like to pray, please, I'd be, I'll be right down there. In the meantime, let's lift up our voices and praise him.